0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Father, we do indeed look forward to that day when uh, you shall reign, when the Lord Jesus will reign uh, with you, seated on the throne, uh, as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And we pray that this morning we would have a greater desire for that day than ever before. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me encourage you to turn uh, back uh, in your Bibles to the uh, reading that Godfrey's just read for us, uh, Revelation chapter 22. And uh, as uh, we heard, we come to the very end uh, of this uh, series, looking through the book of Revelation. Uh, You might also find it useful to dig out. In fact, I think you will find it particularly useful this morning to dig out uh, this handout uh, to see uh, where we're going. Uh, Increasingly, I find myself saying these words at the very end of the Bible there, Revelation chapter 22 verse 20 I hear myself saying come Lord Jesus I have a longing for Jesus' return as I listen to the news and see the mess of the world we live in and when I see people hurting brothers and sisters in this congregation going through agony because we live in a broken world the heartache suffered because of tragic accidents the misery brought about through selfish actions and, and thoughtless words and sometimes Just the sheer stress and pressure of the daily grind, the the pressure of work, of making ends meet, of getting through the schedule, of dealing with deteriorating health, of raising children, of worrying about the future. Now that sort of thing leads me uh, to say, even if I don't use exactly these words to be thinking, come Lord Jesus, come and usher in your kingdom, come and bring in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth of Revelation chapter 21 that we were looking at. Last week, come and create that place where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Now John's vision of the new creation is given us for that very reason, to make us long for it. It's why it was written in the first place. And we know from chapters 2 and 3 that the churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia were sure to long for Jesus' return. For they were being persecuted for following Jesus, some of them even to the point of death. You can be sure they'd have been saying, come Lord Jesus. And the churches in Ephesus and Pergamum and Thyatira were being worn down by the problem of false teaching in the church. It would have been a constant struggle for them. I imagine they cried out from time to time, come Lord Jesus. But then there were the churches in Sardis and Laodicea. And especially Laodicea, where I doubt they rarely, if ever, cried, come Lord Jesus. For they said, and it's on the handout there, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. They said, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. The Christians in Laodicea were so happy with their lot in life. So content, so satisfied, and, well, that sounds quite good, doesn't it? Until I say the next thing. So self-sufficient, they didn't think they needed Jesus. They certainly weren't longing for Jesus' return. And as I said last week, I think this is my greatest temptation. Do not underestimate the danger of an easy life. It can make us so drowsy and sleepy as Christians that eventually we sleep into, uh, sl- slip into a spiritual coma. Uh, a Christian preacher visiting Sydney, uh, Australia, a few years back said to Christians, to Christians there... You think Sydney is, is a good enough heaven. Now, the sunshine, the beaches, the lifestyle. You can live in Sydney not wanting for anything. And the preacher said, you're happy with this. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, a collection of his wartime addresses, uh, said these words again on the handout. We are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seaside. We are far too easily pleased. Now the Christians in Laodicea were far too easily pleased. As a result, rarely if ever they had these words pass their lips. Come Lord Jesus, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. I don't need Jesus. And these are the words of a church family. It's a warning for here we are. Here we are, rich in a beautiful part of the world and potentially far too easily pleased with what we have. Now, look, if that's how we're tempted to think, it is how I'm tempted to think, then Revelation chapter 22 should change our thinking and should leave us crying out, Come, Lord Jesus. Now, last week in chapter 21, John saw the the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, beautifully dressed as a bride. We looked at that last week. And then he writes here in chapter 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Uh, He continues describing the the new Jerusalem, uh, the new heavens and the new earth And, and what a magnificent sight for John it was as it should be for any Bible reading Christian. Not just because it looks so good, but it does look good. Not just that reason, but because it tells us where this place is. For these verses are drenched with memories of Genesis chapter 2. So come back with me. We'll we'll camp just for a little while in Genesis chapter 2. Just for a while. And then we'll come back to Revelation uh, chapter 21. All the references are on the handout there uh, for you to be able to chase up later as well. But come back with me. Page 4 in the church Bible. Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 8, we're in Eden, in the glorious garden of God, a spectacular and beautiful environment that God created for his people to enjoy. God created such a good world. Do you see that, verse 9? The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Just look at the variety of the trees that God made. Different sizes, different shapes, different colours. So many shades of green, even reds and oranges and yellows. And I love that in verse 9, God made trees that were pleasing to the eye. These are not just functional. Trees are, are not just functional, turning carbon dioxide into oxygen. If that's all we needed, God would have installed a huge pump in the garden, a pump with a carbon dioxide filter. No, he made trees for our pleasure. They looked fantastic. And he didn't just create 10 or 15 or 20 different types of trees. He didn't just create trees to give us food. He created a remarkable variety of trees, producing different kinds of fruit, pears and plums and peaches and pomegranates. And that's just a few that begin with P, to quote the preacher and author Julian Hardiman. Trees are not just fit for purpose, although they do serve a wonderful purpose. They weren't just created to keep us alive, although they do that. God made trees that were pleasing to the eye. How good of God. And the point of all this is he made the world a good world, good to look at, as well as functional. And verse 9, in the middle of the garden was the tree of life. And that's the first thing to make special note of this morning. In the middle of this very good garden was the tree of life note also in verse 10 there was a river watering the garden and flowing from eden throughout the world and again the river running through the middle of the garden tells us how good this place was i love being beside water don't you on a hot summer's day it's cool refreshing and reviving on a cold winter's day it's turbulent and powerful and majestic the river was good to look at but the river was there not only to make it pleasant for us but also to give us life. There is no life without water. So in verse 9, we have the tree of life, and in verse 10, water to give us life. And everything here looks so good, trees and water. And note two, the third thing particularly to note in verse 12, uh, this garden was laden with gold, pure gold and precious stones, aromatic resins, it said. Although I like the NIV footnote, pearls, which we'll come back to a bit later. Life in the garden in Eden was wonderful and beautiful. But what made it so very good was that this place was a place where Adam and Eve were in the presence of God. And just to cast your eye over to chapter 3, verse 8, it tells us there that the Lord God walked through this garden. At the end of each day, Adam and Eve would stroll through the garden with the Lord And notice he's called the Lord God, the covenant-making God in deep, intimate relationship with his people. Uh, Being with God was was what made this place paradise. The Garden in Eden then was a wonderful place in the wonderful presence of God. A place where there was no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Nothing but joyful, peaceful well-being. But that's not where we live now. For Genesis chapter 3 tells us the story of mankind's rebellion against God. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent and wanted to be like God. They wanted to be God, to push God off his throne. And the results were devastating. In judgment, God cursed the world. Look at chapter 3, verse 17, just over the page. Chapter 3, verse 17. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded, you must not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil or eat of it all the days of your life. Life is just hard toil sometimes, a lot of the time. And just as God promised in chapter 2, verse 17, when Adam disobeyed God, death came into the world. Do you see that chapter 3, verse 19? Words that we say at a funeral, by the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food till you return to the ground, from, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, to dust you'll return. So this curse comes upon the world and death comes into the world. And at the end of chapter 3, we see that that mankind was banished from this perfect garden in Eden. Look at chapter 3, verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So by the end of the third chapter of the Bible, mankind is out of the presence of God, out of the garden in Eden, out of the sight of the tree of life, under a curse and facing death. That's the world we live in. That is exactly the world we live in. Even if we live in a beautiful part of the world, in Sydney or in Sheffield, even if we are rich and at times think we have everything we need, even if we live in comfort and free from many of the struggles of life, we shouldn't be content with this world For all around us are signs of the curse that God has put on the world. Broken relationships, a daily struggle to survive and the dark shadow of death always looming. And of course, none of us are in the perfect relationship with the Lord God we were made for. None of us actually walk with him daily, physically. Oh look, you just have to get today's newspaper. I grabbed this this morning. And uh, every page, well, not quite every page, but almost every page has something of this curse that we are living in uh, reported about. On the front page, uh, it's a political story, the, the cash for access. Uh, well, look, I'm not making any political point from the pulpit this morning. There was cash for honours, there was cash for questions. It seems people will do anything for money, even in politics. Uh, Turn on to page four and you can read about about a couple of metropolitan police officers facing racial abuse charges. Read on to page 6, and uh, we're told of the drought that we're going to be facing, which is affecting wildlife. We see that our our world is not quite as it should be. Read on to verse 7, and uh, you'll hear about uh, how the Royal Navy are going to attack Somali pirates and how they're going to deal with that whole problem of kidnapping. Uh, Verse 25, a father of two killed in a shark attack in Australia. It just goes on and on. And it even happens in the sports pages. Um, uh, Page uh, 2 of the sports section here. Silyan Petrov of Aston Villa. uh, diagnosed with uh, leukaemia players accused of cheating as you read on it's all very depressing especially when you get to the England cricket collapse that brings misery to millions I shouldn't jest greed, racism, drought, kidnapping, death, illness, cheating and that's all the result of coming under the judgement of God and being banished from the garden in Eden out of God's presence and therefore away from the source of life, under a curse and facing death, that's our lot by the time we reach just the third chapter of Genesis. At best, making mud pies in a slum, when we were made for something much greater. And the rest of the story of the Bible, in indeed the rest of the whole story of the history of the world, is about how God will restore his people to be in perfect relationship with him forever in a perfect place like a garden in Eden. And that's why Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the Bible, is such a sight for sore eyes. Come back with me to Revelation chapter 22, page 1250, right at the end. These are the bookends of the Bible. And if you're still with me, we're over the page on the handout now. Revelation chapter 22, and and see again what the angel showed John as we read. Look out for the connections with the Garden in Eden. Verse 1 In this place, there is a river, Uh, it's the water of life running down the center of the great city. And in verse 2, on each side of the river is the tree of life, the tree that in Genesis chapter 3 was guarded by cherubim to ensure that we couldn't get back to it. Here it is. It's not been seen for the whole of the Bible, for the whole of history, but now John can see it. It's here in the centre of the new Jerusalem. And in this place, verse 3, there is no more curse. No more pain or suffering or crying. No more the daily grind of making ends meet, of just trying to get through the day. No more broken relationships, harsh words, selfish actions, selfless, faithlessness and and hurtfulness. The new Jerusalem is a place no longer bent out of shape, but perfect in every way. It's what we saw last week in, in Revelation chapter 21. In the new creation, chapter 21, verse four, there's no more death. In, in chapter 21, verse 21, the gates of the city are made of do you see it? They're pearls. That's what we saw, wasn't it, back in Genesis? And the street of the city made of gold. Gold and pearls are a reminder of the garden in Eden. And most important of all, just as we saw last week, so here in chapter 22, this is a wonderful place because it is being in the wonderful presence of the Lord God and the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. And just as we saw last week, that is the focus of this part of the vision. So in chapter 22, verse 1, we see the throne of of God and the Lamb. And again, we see the same in verse 3. And how amazing is verse 4. Those who serve God will see his Place, seeing the face of God and again you see the same in verse 5 being in the presence of God here in the new creation we're in the presence of God that's why being in this place will be so spectacularly good And you see it in Revelation chapter 22 John is being shown that the new heavens and the new earth is a return to paradise not actually a return to Eden for this is not just a garden it is a garden city But it is a perfect place. A perfect place, that verse 2, is always fruitful. At the end of verse 2, a place where there's no more conflict. Those from every nation, from every tribe and people and language, in perfect unity, under the rule of God and the Lamb, the Lord Jesus. And so very simply, every Christian should long to be there. Even those of us who have such a contented and peaceful life. For no matter how good it is here in Fulwood, and boy, it is good, Verse 4, we cannot see the face of God. We cannot walk with him, actually walk with him as we will then. And so we should be crying, verse 20, come Lord Jesus. Listen again to the words of C.S. Lewis as he speaks of all that is to come for the Christian. The the full quote this time uh, from The Weight of Glory. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward... And the staggering nature of the rewards promised. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures falling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's brilliant, isn't it? We are far too easily pleased if we do not want to go and be with the Lord in the new heavens and the new earth. And these last two chapters of Revelation give us a huge advantage over the boy making mud pies in a slum. Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the seaside. But we don't need to use our imagination of what life in the new creation is like. We've been shown it. That's the point of this Revelation. These chapters should give us a longing to be there and should prompt us to say, often, "Come, Lord Jesus, come and, and recreate the world, wrap up history as we know it, make a new start." And here's the thing that I think has really changed my thinking a bit this morning uh, this week as I prepared. This should be a cry flowing not only from a desire to see all the sad and bad things of this life done away with, well, of course. We should want that, but this should be a cry longing to see Jesus, to be with him. Look, there's nothing uniquely Christian about wanting all the rubbish in this world to be thrown away. Lots of people want that. And there's nothing uniquely Christian about wanting to be out of this world. Plenty of people have wanted that, and and sadly, some have taken the ultimate step to make it happen for them. No, what is uniquely Christian is wanting to be with Jesus. Which is why the cry in verse 20 is come Lord Jesus and not just bring on the new creation. So Christian meditate on these last two chapters of Revelation and allow them to bring you to the point where you long for Jesus to come. And then don't just say these words but pray them. Pray that he would. Well in the meantime how should we live? Well very briefly as we draw this whole series to a close Again, this is something I've not seen before, but I think this is exactly how the book ends, to show us how we should live. As we pray, come Lord Jesus. Uh, How do we live? We say to people, come to Jesus. The second point on the handout. See, as we cry, come Lord Jesus, he says, I'm coming soon. You'll see that in verse 7 and verse 12 and verse 20. And it is Jesus' assurance of his coming that shapes the final two great exaltations of this book. Now see how the rest of this chapter is structured. Again, I've put it on the handout just so you can see it. There are two sections in the rest of uh, this chapter, uh, both following the same pattern. Verse 7, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon. Verse 7 then comes a beatitude. Uh, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Verse 8 then shows us the testimony of John, John's testimony. And then that is all followed by an exhortation, what we should do. And you see the same pattern then in the next verses. verse 12, Jesus says, behold, I'm coming soon. Verse 14, there's a beatitude, blessed are those who wash their robes and so on. Then verse 16, there's a testimony of Jesus rather than of John. And then it follows an exhortation. Basically, it's the two exhortations we need to really look at to see how we should live. First then, verse 7, tell the message of Revelation. Verse 7, blessed is everyone who keeps the word of this prophecy. So, verse 10, do not seal up the words of this prophecy, but proclaim them. For the time of Jesus' return is near. It's very simple what this is saying. Tell people the message of the book of Revelation. Tell them so that they can respond to it. Tell them so they can enjoy this wonderful new creation and not face eternity without Jesus. Tell them because there will come a day when the declaration of verse 11 will be heard. Do you see it there? Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. See, when Jesus returns, men and women will be forever left in the state they were in when he comes. Verse 11, you see, those who do wrong will continue to do wrong. And those who do right, those who follow Jesus, will continue to do right. So we must tell people the content of this prophecy, to put them in the picture. So that they too will turn to Jesus. And we must tell them the whole truth of this prophecy. Look down to verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes anything away from the prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. We're to proclaim the whole message of of this book. And that, uh, all that we've seen over these last weeks, both the warnings as well as the encouragements, This has been a real challenge to me this week. We do need to warn those who are are not living for Christ of the judgment they face. Those who, who are drifting through life, blissfully unaware that they are on the broad road that leads to destruction, heading for a terrible eternity as we saw last week. Chapter 21, verse 8, describes this eternity as the fiery lake of burning sulfur. No, it's not comfortable, and we should never say it with glee, but... Remember verses 18 and 19? We need to tell people the whole truth, that all is not well, that a terrible judgment is coming, but they don't need to face the judgment. Again, it's been a big challenge to me this week. I've just been wondering if people don't become Christians because we don't tell them plainly enough that without Christ they face a terrible lost eternity. We must tell the whole truth of this book. And as we long for Jesus to come, uh, we must tell people not only the whole message, but we must plead with them to come to Jesus. The second point there, right at the end of the handout. 4 verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the rights to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. But outside are those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So, verse 17, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit and the bride say this. We, the people of God, are the bride of Christ. This is our task. We are to say, come to Jesus. We're to encourage everyone we meet to come to Jesus. We must beg them to come to Jesus when we've read Revelation. Plead with them to take, as it says here in verse 17, uh, the thirst-quenching free gift of the water of life that is in Christ. Take every opportunity and tell people to come. This week, uh, will you take with you these Easter invitation cards and invite people to come here next week to hear, as Andrew was saying, the wonderful message of the cross and resurrection of Christ. I love the, the clarity and simplicity of these, this last chapter of Revelation. It tells us how to live the rest of our lives. We're to say, we're to pray, come Lord Jesus. Uh, change the way the world is once and for all that we may be with you in the new creation forever. And while we wait for his coming, we're to say to anyone we know, come to Jesus as we lay out the truth of this book. He's coming soon, so come to him, so that you too may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the heavenly Jerusalem. And so I plead with you this morning. Come to Jesus. If you're not sure, if you're not absolutely sure that you're going to spend all eternity when you die with Christ in the new creation... Come to Jesus. And if you don't know what that means, then please speak to me. Speak to me after the service. Don't, don't leave these things any longer. Get these things sorted out. You see, there's an urgency here. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. Please don't delay. Come to Jesus so that you can say with confidence, come, Lord Jesus. And then verse 21 May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all God's people. Amen.